Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Steve Levy, a Monday Night Football play-by-play -play commentator and Sports Center anchor. Hello, America, all over North America, including Canada and uh, across Newfoundland, too. Hi to all my Newfie friends out there as well. Um, what a pleasure, what an honor. Let's start with a, a very unscientific Twitter poll. Raise your hand if you showered today. Okay. Uh, anybody out there shave today? Whatever you shaved, anybody shave out there today? Good. I can see you people. No, I, I can't see you, actually. You can only see me. Uh, please tell me everybody brushed their teeth today. Can we brush our teeth every day? Twice, please. That'd be nice. How about pants? Anybody want pants? All right, I can't raise my hand for that right now. Um, actually, I'm wearing some Batman sweatpants. Uh, my kids seem to appreciate that. Uh, for today's attire, hey, always a good time to wear the red, white, and blue. Uh, I am sporting... Um, from the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame and USA Hockey, compliments of the good doctor, uh, Dave Fisher. So, again, never more proud of our country. Always good to wear the red, white, and blue, and especially during these difficult times. So, look, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll speak. I'll give you a couple stories, a couple anecdotes, tell you something about myself that you might not know. Maybe tell you something about Ernie that, that you didn't know about Ernie. And... Um, and then we'll get to your questions. So I don't want the questions to come too early because I don't want to miss them. So maybe you want to hang on to the questions for a few minutes uh, because in the end, this is about you. And that's really how this, this all started. Um, Ernie put out a, a tweet saying that, you know, he was going to do this journalism school. And for uh, prospective uh, journalists, broadcasters, students uh, who want to aspire to do that, uh, should check him out for an hour. And I really wasn't kidding. I, I replied to the tweet that, hey, you know, hey, Ernie, how about those who have been in the business for 30 years and still want to listen uh, to what you have to say? Um, you can always learn, especially from a guy like Ernie Johnson. And, uh, and he replied something along the lines of, hey, how would you like to, you know, how would you like to take part in it? So, and that's, and that's how we got to today. And I'm glad I was able to go last this week. Uh, I saw Brian Anderson, so Alan LaForest. Ari LaForce, uh, Stu Gotts, and of course, uh, my colleague Scott Van Pelt yesterday all had a bang-up job, and everybody had a blast doing it. So, I don't think I've ever told this story uh, publicly. Uh, stay with me here for a second. It has a happy ending. Uh, it was at the Sports Emmy Awards a few years ago, and Stuart Scott had uh, previously just passed away. And Stuart was nominated, as I was, believe all, he was often, for... Um, Best studio, best daily studio host. And, uh, you know, Ernie's a perennial winner, Dan Patrick, Bob Costas, those guys. So it's a, it's a murderer's row in terms of uh, those who are nominated. And so Stewart had recently passed. And uh, the folks at ESPN came to me and asked me if I would escort, uh, should Stewart win, if I would escort Taylor and Sydney, his two beautiful daughters, uh, if I would escort them up on stage and uh, really say a few words. I, I think they meant that I would say a few words and introduce the daughters. But anyway, so it was, it was you know, uncomfortable. It was a little awkward. I really didn't know how to handle the situation. Uh, there's always a pre-cocktail party for like an hour or so beforehand. And I remember uh, huddling with, with Tay and Sid and their mom Hey, how are we going to handle this? And I'm like, listen, I'm just going to get you guys up the stairs and then you guys take it from there. I was going to, you know, I was really going to go to the podium, to the microphone and just really introduce, you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Taylor and, and Sidney Scott. And that, that's really what, that was all I was going to do. And uh, I, I just wanted to be there. I think ESPN wanted me there. Moral support. Uh, should the gals, understandably, should they break down that I would be there to, you know, help out a little bit as I can. So... You know, obviously, everybody in the building knew what was going on. Uh, Stewart had to be the sentimental choice, no question. And um, they come up and they announce, and the winner of the award uh, is Ernie Johnson, TNT. And, you know, I felt that, that sort of feeling in my gut and just feeling sort of the pain for Stewart's family, 
as I remember it, there was sort of an audible groan. I mean, I think everybody, maybe if he'd been asked Ernie on this particular year, I think he would have gotten it, that Stewart had to win this award this year. And uh, listen, full marks to the voting committee, by the way. They played it straight. Ernie won, then Ernie won. And and we don't go with the sentimental choice, and that's, that's part of this whole thing. So uh, I remember feeling awful for Tay and Sid and the family. And, um, and then, of course, Ernie goes to the podium. I mean, in his first sentence, Ernie with a, you know, the cape on his back, as only EJ can do. I mean, in the first sentence out of his mouth, this award belongs to Stuart Scott and his family. And so Ernie just, you know, just saved the day. So um, if you need to know more about Ernie Johnson, you ever think you're not doing enough? Wait till you watch that E60 on EJ and uh, the family man, the husband, the father that he is, the colleague, the teammate. And so I was really pleased to just be uh, included in this today. So uh, I went to a small school. I used to say, you know, a small school near Syracuse. And now I just say a small college in uh, central New York, SUNY Oswego, State University of New York. I'm very proud of that. Um, I got to be on television and radio as a freshman. And, um, you know, that does not happen the way I understand it at the big universities. You know, everybody who comes up and wants to be a sports broadcaster, they all want to go to Syracuse. And, you know, I don't think my folks had uh, the financial funds to send both me and my sister to a, uh, a super expensive uh, private university at that point. Uh, my sister was highly intelligent, an excellent student. And uh, she went to Tufts University, by the way. And so I went to SUNY Oswego, which I believe back in the day was about two grand a year, all in. Uh, but the advantage I had, it was the, it really was the, uh, you know, the, the big fish in a small bowl as opposed to the other way around. I got hands-on experience four years in a row as a freshman. You know, there were one or two other people back then. Now it's a much bigger deal. There's no question about that. But back then... Uh, you know, not everybody wanted to do this. And at Syracuse, I'm just using Syracuse as an example. There are other great broadcasting schools out there. Um, but that was one of the events. Now, our equipment wasn't as good as Syracuse's. Our studio wasn't as good and all that. But again, it was the hands-on experience. And that's why I feel uh, that that was the right choice. And, and, and so don't always go for the biggest and the best university. I think people will tell you the hands-on experience um, ranks higher than, you know, Hey, they had a teleprompter, and we didn't have a teleprompter. And right now, I'm operating without a teleprompter myself. Feel feeling pretty good about my performance. Um, speaking of Oswego, I made great friends there. I, um, in fact, last night spent two and a half hours, had a video chat with my five best friends from college, and uh, we had a blast. And uh, it was just a good reminder. I hadn't laughed that hard in a long time. I think we can all use a laugh, a smile, a chuckle. Just told some terrible stories from 30 years ago. And it's a good reminder to celebrate. We still have to live our lives as best we can, even apart these days, but to celebrate whatever you can and celebrate those uh, friendships and relationships, even long distance if you can. And it's okay to laugh and, uh, and to feel good things during this difficult time. Uh, my boys, Carson and Stone, celebrating their eighth birthday today. Um, I had a, Seth Greenberg had them all set up at the, uh, at the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Mass. And of course, we couldn't do that. So I, I broke down. I, I bought a, a PS4 and got on the Madden 2020, and they're loving that. Shout out to Gus Ramsey, who helped me put that together over the phone long distance. Had some technical issues with that, too. So, um, all right, we're going to get into the questions here. I'll give you one final thought. This is the way I handle my business. And people are very specific about this. And, and every opinion I'm going to give you, every opinion I'm going to give you is, uh, just keep in mind, it's, it's one man's opinion. It's, it's my opinion. And it might not be right for everyone. It might not be right for you. It might not be right for your boss or your future boss. I'll just give you my opinion, what, is, what has worked for me uh, to get to whatever point I am in my at least long career anyway, some 30 Two years in the business, 27 at ESPN, uh, the greatest place a person could work as far as I'm concerned. So uh, little things like uh, I stay away from uh, war references during my football highlights. You'll never hear me say, hey, quarterback, you know, he threw the bomb. Like just 
That's just not going to be me. Uh, doing Little League highlights. Uh, I'm never going to name the 12-year-old kid who the ball goes through his legs or he drops the fly ball in right field. I was that kid, and I'm not going to put that on SportsCenter. Now, I'll tell you who hit it. I'll tell you who pitched it. I'll tell you who scored the winning run. Uh, I'll give you all those names. But the kid who makes the error, uh, you're never going to hear in a Little League World Series game. Uh, you're never going to hear that name come out of me. So, uh, not on my show. And along those same lines, uh, the word hero is really overused. You know, you get that all the time, right? And you know, I feel like we use, you know, sports heroes. And, you know, he's a football hero and he's a baseball hero and basketball hero and those kinds of things. And I think if you ask those specific people, uh, they would cringe too, especially at a time like this right now when the real heroes are out there. So, you know, you want a football idol? I'm cool with that. You know, he's my, he's my basketball idol, you know. I grew up worshiping the way he played, you know. All that's good. And I think these professional athletes would, would agree with that uh, because the real heroes uh, we know are the people who are every day now and will be for some time and have been for a long time already now are, are really rushing into harm's way and, uh, and putting the public ahead of themselves and really their own family in a lot of cases. So that's one of the good reminder. When we use that hero, that word hero, to, uh, to throw that around, be very careful with that word. We reserve that uh, for the true heroes that are out there today. So... Okay, I think we're, uh, we're good to go. I got a couple tips on um, audition tapes as you send in and, and watching tapes as well. Uh, if you want to start firing off some questions, um, I am happy to, to share them with you. We're getting a lot of, uh, we're getting a lot of the, the bulging disc stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood that. I'm going to save that for the very end of the hour. Okay, uh, sort of like my friends in low places that Garth does. Did you guys see Garth and Trisha the other day on, uh, on CBS? They were unbelievable. They are unbelievable. That's a power couple for sure. Just quick check of the clock here. I don't want to over my allotted time as well. So uh, let's do the audition tape. A lot of people asking about the audition tape. So uh, I saw Allie LaForce talk about that the other day. She is right. Put your best stuff out front. Uh, these executives, they are busy like everybody else. And um, they have minimal time to look at a lot of tapes. And so you want to, I mean, your whole thing should not be more than five minutes. I, that might sound crazy. In my opinion, they're going to know within the first, you know, 30 to 45 seconds whether, not, not whether you're good or not, but whether you have a shot. So that 45 seconds to a minute, they're going to say, all right, this guy, this person has a chance. Or they don't have a chance. And if you don't have a chance, they take it, and the disc, and the reel, or whatever. And they click on, and they click on something else. They X out of that. But if they like you, or they think you have potential, then that's 45 seconds. Then they'll say, hey, you know what? I'll stay with this. And I'll watch that tape a little longer. So that's why I want to put it up front. So, mistakes young people make in the industry, students especially, I think, is they just put their own best clips out there. And they only put the screaming loud highlights out there. And so what I mean by that is, look, anybody can get excited over a goal call, right? It's a goal call. How do you do when it's just regular play? How are you on a ground ball to shortstop? I think that's important because there are a lot more ground balls to shortstop hitting the game than there are, you know, uh, home run saving catches or, or home runs hit. So, so keep that in mind. I think you need a little of the mundane in those five minutes to show you can handle the day-to-day -day grind of whatever the broadcast is, whatever sport you're doing. Again, not every play in sports is thrilling, as we know. Hey, here's a touchback. You know what I mean? How do you handle that? And the other thing, the other mistake I think people make, young people, they just put their best stuff of themselves in there. That's a mistake. While the tape, the audition tape is about you, I, as a boss or a decision maker... I need to see how you interact with others. For a play-by-play for -play man, uh, how am I teeing up Greg McElroy or Brian Greasy? How am I setting them up? How am I taking it back from Molly McGrath or Diana Rossini? How am I... We, we have a joke about that, actually. It's kind of a funny joke. 
You know, if you hear me say on a broadcast, uh, Diana or Molly, thanks, will watch for that. That is, uh, that's code for I wasn't listening, and probably Josh Hoffman, our producer, was in my ear speaking to me at the same time. So, um, but how you, how you handle that going back and forth, uh, the byplay with your on-air colleagues, I think that's very important as well. So I know I just told you keep the tape short, keep it five minutes if you can, uh, max, but in that you need some of the, the boring, mundane play-by-play and also how you handle um, ins and outs, really, with your colleagues, sideline, analysts next to you, uh, and those kinds of things. Um, so that's those are the tips on the audition tape. And I, I would also say that, um, you know, this is tricky. Like, again, it's, it's so subjective, right? It's based on whoever's watching at that moment. And the boss in one market might not have the same as a boss in another market. I know people in my industry, you know, when there are managerial shakeups, you could be the favorite of someone. And, uh, and the, the next person gets the job, maybe, you know, doesn't like your style and whatever style you're in. So keep those tapes short, but include, include bits and pieces of everything and focus on what you really want to do. Don't be so general... In, 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 if you want to be play-by-play, play, then I don't need to see your studio stuff. Now, if you're open to both and you're equally adept at both, then fine. Give me, give me 60 seconds of anchoring in your five minutes. And give me, give me 30 seconds on something light, but something serious also. I need a serious story. I need something light. I need to see how you can handle uh, all of those things. And uh, again, a play-by-play play snippet. And, uh, and really, if you can, I know it's tight. Those five minutes, but if you handle all those things, you will already be ahead of, uh, I think, most people who sense uh, in their tapes right now. All right, tips for a high school. I've seen a lot of that for high school. And please, again, one man's opinion. Take this the right way. Do not worry about this in high school. I mean it. Play as long as you can. Play everything as long as you can. You know, Unless you're talking about Texas high school where they're, they're cutting guys and all that stuff. I went to a high school. Very proud of my high school, Belmore JFK, uh, Belmore Kennedy, located in Belmore on Long Island, New York. And, and um, you know, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of school spirit in terms of the football team. And listen, I, I should have I played football. Now, when I say this, understand, I wouldn't have been good. I'm not fooling anyone here. But I missed out on the experience of being on a team, of being in practice. And again, my, my high school teams, they weren't cutting any players. Uh, they were just happy to fill out a roster. Guys were playing both ways, offense and defense. So I really feel like I made a mistake. But the, my overwhelming thought on this, I, I hear from kids in junior high school, no, please, not yet. Worry about this when you get to college. That, again, that's my opinion. Maybe people think I'm wrong. It's like, it's like the people who are focusing on one sport in junior high school. No, play everything. Play everything for as long as you can play. And playing these sports will help you understand the nuances of the sport and, uh, and will help you in your broadcasting future, I think. Um, you know, again, just play as long as you can. They'll tell you, and, and they'll tell you, by the way, the bosses that be will tell you when you can't play anymore. And that's when you're getting cut from teams and, and those kinds of things. And, and listen, in high school, while I say play all you can, you can still take, you know, journalism class. You can still uh, work for the newspaper. You can still uh, write stories on your local sports teams. Uh, I'm sure there are high school radio stations out there. You can still all do that stuff. But please don't get so serious about the uh, journalism or the broadcasting or your future career in high school. Just have fun. Just have a good time. Really, enjoy every minute of, of high school. Don't get stressed out by, like, you know, what you're going to do. How am I going to handle this? What am I going to be? Just have a good time. Be a good person in high school and play as much as you can. And play and do everything. And then when you get to college, and a lot of the questions are coming about internships, and that is absolutely the single biggest key they are impossible to get. Um, I hear all the time from, from people, and uh, I'll tell you the truth on this one too. I'm going to tell you the truth on everything I can, 
No one said, hey, don't talk about this. Don't tell them any of that. So um, ESPN inside the walls, it's sort of known that our acceptance rate for internships is a, a lower percentage than like some of the Ivy League schools like Harvard and Yale. That's how tough it is to get an ESPN internship. Now, in fairness, a lot of that is we don't have a lot of interns, okay? Uh, there aren't that many positions, so that obviously skews the numbers. I get that. But I, this is true, too. I am uh, 27 years in ESPN, right? I'm a, I'm a lifer, right? I would say of my, of my – I have only offered this up for my closest best friend's children to try to do something to get them in the door in Bristol, Conservatively speaking, I have tried for 20 different grade A top-notch kids to get them into ESPN as an intern. And I honestly believe I am 0 for 20. I don't think I've gotten one kid into Bristol based on my recommendation or any kind of connection I have. So, you know, that says one of a couple things. A, uh, I'm not that highly thought of in Bristol, uh, which I hope that's not it. B, if there's a problem with the kid, they don't want to think I'm going to come back and be mad at them or angry at somebody, uh, which would not be the case. Hey, once I get you in the door, you're in the door and you're on your own. Um, and the other aspect is, you know, you know, maybe they just they weren't they weren't good enough, they weren't they weren't quality enough. So it's it's one of those things. It hasn't worked for me. People ask all the time. I really try to save this what I think is a favor for my best friends and kids I actually know, and it still hasn't worked out. And now I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe they're just better off applying online. You know, go to ESPN.com or Disney.jobs or, and try to get the internship that way because, quite frankly, I haven't been able to help anyone. So um, don't be afraid to take some help. I have been uh, connections. This is life. This is how this stuff works. Uh, my story is... I was at SUNY Oswego, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, my dad all along through high school told me, look, I, got, I have one connection for you. He's an old Army buddy. Uh, he's a guy named Richard Liebner, who people in the business will certainly know. Uh, he owned NS Beanstalk, which was a high, super high power uh, broadcast talent agency. And so my dad cashed in his one chip and, and, and asked Dick if he would look at my tape. And all I wanted, that was an Oswego, I had a terrible tape like everybody else is with a college background and, and bad lighting and bad audio and all those things. And um, oh, I see Josh Hoffman has joined the party, my, uh, my college football producer and XFL producer as well. Shout out to Josh. Um, next week, by the way, Ernie's going to do a behind-the-scenes people. Josh would be an excellent guy to uh, teach that day, uh, this journalism class. So, um, so all I wanted was a, a possibility. And uh, Richard Liebner... We did go to my bar mitzvah. I mean, that's that's how far back we went. Uh, called up my dad after looking at my tape and say, hey, Charlie, look, I don't, I can't promise you anything, but I think the kid has a shot. That's how I remember it. My dad told me, and I was just over the moon. That's all I wanted. Just tell me I've got a shot. And um, he put me with uh, Steve Lefkowitz, who was the sports agent at NS Beanstalk at the time, and Steve's no longer with us. And uh, he sort of took me on and, and nurtured me and certainly got me to ESPN. And uh, he did not take a commission for, I don't know, four or five years there probably. Didn't make a penny off me, saw it as an investment. And I'd like to think it worked out, uh, worked out for him, but it obviously worked out great for me. He really uh, ushered me through the early parts of my career and did a, did a great job for me. So the point is, uh, connections are key. Uh, take advantage of them. I'm sorry. If you have them, take advantage of them because the next person will take advantage of them. And you do. You have to take advantage of every break you possibly can get. So uh, I was lucky enough to have an internship back in the, in the day. I had a couple of internships and during the summers while I was at college. And all my buddies were out, you know, they were out working and, and making money in the summer and having a good time. And I was going in uh, to Channel 5, the Fox affiliate in New York, the old Bill Mazur show, and uh, watching French Open highlights and logging things at 5 o'clock in the morning based on the time difference. And log in highlights, and then uh, Mark Mason got me into WABC radio, uh, 77, all these giant radio stations. Uh, that was Art Russ Jr. in New York, 
Steve Malsberg was his second, and Steve really took me under his wing, and he got me the role of a stringer, and a stringer is someone who attends all these uh, major sporting events, and back in the day, they picked up a phone, and there were stringers at every event, I mean, every single pro sporting event, and they would be on the phone, and, and they would call in a report, and so... In an NFL game, after a touchdown, they would call in. You'd put them on the radio. You'd give them 15 seconds, and uh, we'd announce it, and they'd hang up. And these stringers could make a lot of money because they were working for, let's say, 10 radio stations at the same time. So um, so Steve Malsberg made me the Buffalo Bills stringer on the Jets radio network. The Jets were on um, WABC at that point. Charlie Steiner was the play-by-play man. And... Um, so every Sunday, after a difficult rock and roll Saturday night at Oswego, I would get up and, uh, and rent a car and drive myself to Buffalo. Every week I had to, I had to beg Bud, Bud Thalman, Bud Tallman was TH. He was the PR director of the Buffalo Bills. And every week he made me beg for a credential. And it was based on availability, a bigger game. There weren't any seats in the press box. In the end, I think I got to most of them. But anyway, so at, at the age of 19, 20, I was in an NFL press box. And that was through my internship. And I was really doing 60 seconds pregame tape, 60 seconds at halftime, and 60 seconds postgame on the Jets radio network. You know, heard by ton of people in New York City. So, and, and so that led to more connections. And look, I lost money on that deal, right? I was getting paid $50. Um, and it was costing me $200 expenses just to, you know, rent a car for the 24 hours and gas and tolls and food and all that stuff. But I was in an NFL prex box and I was on the radio um, in New York City at an early, early age. And that's why my story is different from everybody else's. Um, I honestly tell you, I am the luckiest. I remain the single luckiest person in this building. I was prepared to go elsewhere. I was prepared to start in any market that would take me. I auditioned for awful jobs and didn't get them. All right, quick story, and I'll get back to your questions here. I don't want to get too much of your clock. But uh, let's check time here. Um, so, so while a senior at Oswego... The radio job opened for the Binghamton, were they Binghamton Rangers or Binghamton Whalers at the time? Anyways, this would have been, you know, 87, 86, 87. And um, I sent in my best tape. I was doing the college hockey, Division Three, uh, the Great Lakers of Oswego, always in the Frozen Four, always a national power in Division Three. But I sent in my best tape, and uh, they wind up bringing me in and, uh, and, and meeting with the person. And uh, no reason to mention his name, but it's, it's a funny story. But um, so, so the job paid, let me get this right. The job paid $12,000 a year, okay? And it was year-round, not just the hockey season. And I would be the play-by-play announcer and do public relations, all the notes, and everybody does in the minor leagues. Uh, and then in the off-season, you have to do uh, community events and sales and advertising and all those kinds of things. But the kicker was, on the road, you had the room with the bus driver. And that's kind of where my mom drew the line. She said, you're not taking that job. I'm like, Mom, I'm taking the job if they give it to me. So push comes to shove. And this doesn't sound glamorous, right? Carrying all that equipment, riding the buses and all that stuff. And I wanted it badly. I wanted it badly. And I wound up finishing eighth. Can you imagine that? Not that there were seven people who were better than me, but seven people that would also accept all those terms in front of me. And I was disappointed. I, I was inconsolable. I really just, I lost it for a little bit there. I was, you know, I was worried about my career. I can't even get this job. What job am I going to get? But yeah, rooming with the bus driver for 12 grand a year. So I was prepared to go uh, and start small market and shoot and edit and carry all the gear and all that stuff. In fact, I feel like I missed out on some of that. Um, Kenny Albert, I was going to say Fox is Kenny Albert, but he works for eight networks or so. Um, uh, I filled in for him once in a Baltimore Skipjacks game. And that was, I uh, had great memories of that too. And that was a real, you know, minor league, down, gritty experience. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And 
I missed out. I missed out on some of the stories, some of the hardships of the minor leagues and, and all that stuff and being able to start on the radio in New York and then um, MSG Television in New York, then WFAN. Shout out John Minko, the Mink Man, uh, is stepping away from WFAN. Everybody in the business loves him. Um, and then uh, and Channel 2 Television in New York doing the, the weekends, Friday and Saturday, when Rock Rote was the main man. And then uh, moving up to, to ESPN, uh, to Bristol, Connecticut, all by myself in, um, in uh, August of 93. I get there on a Tuesday night. I figure I'm all by myself. I'm going to go see a movie. And uh, I am the only one in the theater. This is a true story. I am the only one in the theater. And I really think they're just going to give me my money back and they're not going to show the movie. I wish I could remember what the movie was. They're not going to show the movie to one person. And sure enough, I hear a knock on the glass from the projector. And I look back, ready? And I was ready, and I watched the movie, and that's how my ESPN career started. All right, back to the questions. I saw, um, let's see what I see here. I saw, uh, do you still get nervous? Do you still get nervous before games? Um, and we'll get to the preparation process next. That's really good, too. Uh, I do. I still get a little, I still get a little buzz, a little fired up, a uh, little nerves in the belly right before we go on air. And I think that's good. Uh, that helps me. That uh, that's good for the enthusiasm. And um, uh, I'll be honest with you. I was uh, we did the XFL. I love the XFL. Just terrible circumstances uh, around their first season. Highly successful. I believe with all my heart, the XFL will be back for next season and many years to come. Uh, and Greg McElroy uh, looked over at me and and he said uh, he saw me rattled and that rattled him. And I'm like, I'm not rattled and. You know, deep inside of me, I was a little rattled. Um, this was the first ever XFL game. Uh, this was the first with all these new wild and crazy rules. Uh, these were players that a lot of people uh, don't know or don't recognize like we do in NFL and major college. So, yeah, I still get a little a little jittery. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm doing Sports Center tonight. I'm really excited about that, getting back in the Sports Center chair. Um, and... Sorry, the questions are all coming in there. So, um, but yeah, so I think the nerves, I don't say nerves, it's the jitter, it's the, it's the excitement. But yes, after 27 years at ESPN, I still have that. I still have that feeling, and that is, uh, that's a good thing. That helps, uh, especially on a, on a big show. Um, but the preparation can really help you. I got a chance to do Monday Night Football last year. It's a career highlight. And I did the second game of our traditional opening doubleheader. And I was more nervous about that in the month leading up to the game than I was actually the day of the game. In fact, I was looking around. I was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Now, I think the biggest reason for that is I was so prepared. I mean, I was overprepared. I knew everything about the Broncos and the Raiders going into that game. And I got to Oakland, like, ridiculously early. And... Um, and so while I still had the butterflies, and I couldn't wait to hear the music and the excitement was all there, I was not as nervous as I thought I was going to be. Um, so preparation, let's talk preparation. Good. People were asking about the XFL. Good thing I wore pants today. Yeah. Um, so preparation is crazy. Uh, I'm going to put, this is the LA Wildcats from the XFL. Can you see that? Uh, you just see all the scribbling in the notes, right? Again, the camera where the iPad. Trying to give you a feel, all the scribble. So look, all the typed stuff that you see, uh, that's a shout out to Tony Britt. Tony Britt is a guy, he and his company do a great job. I would say they probably do this, we call these spotting boards or charts. Uh, they do, I would say Tony does it for, Tony and his crew, uh, they do it for probably... 75% of all broadcasters, college and NFL, XFL. I don't know if he does it for NBA or not. So um, so they do, they do stuff I don't want to do. If I had to put in everybody's height and weight and hometown and age and uniform number uh, in these college games where I'm worried about, you know, 100 players on each team, including thank you Michigan for having, you know, four guys wearing the same uniform number four, uh, you know, I, I couldn't get through anything else. So, uh, so Tony and his crew, and they put them in an order, like as a depth chart, right? Starters down, or some people like numerical down, but they're by position. 
so my spotter, Ben Boma, does a great job for me and uh, Kenny Albert and Hannah Storm and Doc Emmerich. Shout out to the to Boma. I think it's spelled B-O-M-A. Anyway, um, so that's all part of the preparation. Um, and then as the week progresses, I read everything I possibly can. And then I handwrite notes into what has already been printed. And, uh, and that's how I do it. Another part of the preparation is, is watching. I have a good note on this. I, I made a note of this. So you want to watch yourself on tape. So, all right, so let me, let me try to break this up for you. So for football broadcasters, I believe this to be the case with most football broadcasters, college and NFL. They wa- Certainly the producers and directors all do this. I believe all the ta- talent, for the most part, do this as well. They go back and watch their own game. And then they watch the two other games of their next two teams. Or the the last game that their next two teams have played. Does that make sense? So in essence, you're watching three games, really. You're watching three games. They don't have to watch the whole thing. Certainly on your own broadcast, you don't have to watch your whole thing, your whole game. You know the key spots. You always fast forward to the mistakes you think you've made. And I find the mistakes I feel awful about after the game, and there are five of them in every single game. Um, they're not as bad. Generally speaking, they're not as bad as I always think they are. So, yes, I do fast forward to my mistakes, the things I think I've destroyed. And um, so I feel better about that. But I'll watch the majority of my game. And it's not just about me. I'm watching how my colleagues play off me, how I play off my colleagues, camera shots. Uh, is the director cutting something else? Is Mike Schwab showing a different picture? Anthony DeMarco showing a different picture while I'm talking about a different subject? And, you know, I guess that's a good alert. I got to be checking the monitor more often, those kinds of things. So uh, watching tape, watching tape of yourself is critical. Now, here's a really cool note that I wrote down. Let me make another note for myself here. Bulging disc. Uh, you're going to have to wait till the end of the hour again. I'll do that like my uh, friends in old uh, places there. Uh, friends in low places. I'll do bulging dick at the very end, okay? A disc. Did I say it again? Yeah, I did it again. That's okay. We're on Twitter. Okay, 237. Um, so we're a good time. So the trick is here, and I can't remember. <laughs> you people enjoyed that already, didn't you? I know you did. Uh, I can't remember who told me this, but when... Checking out your own tape, your own demo reel, or your own broadcast that you're looking at. Try this trick. Mute the volume. This only works when you're on camera, obviously, so not for play-by-play. This is really for studio and, uh, say, field reporters, okay? Try muting your tape. So no audio and strictly stare at yourself. And see how you look on camera delivering your report. Are you gesturing? Uh, is your forehead wrinkled? Uh, are you smirking the whole time? Are you looking down? Are you looking off? Are you looking to the right, to the left? Any of those kinds of things with the audio off. You can learn a lot about how you're broadcasting that with that little trick. And then conversely, turn the audio on and look away. All right? So you want to, you want to hear how you sound without looking at how you look. Focus solely on your audio. And I have, uh, I have passed that tip on to young broadcasters, but I actually passed it on to uh, a bunch of former professional players, uh, guys who have retired from various sports who then come on to be analysts at ESPN. And they're all, wow, that's a great tip. So I think that's a neat one to use. Uh, you can certainly try that. And, um, you know, listen, our, our, job, our job is to, as veteran broadcasters, is to make this look easier than it actually is. Um, And so the greatest compliment I get, the greatest pleasure I get, is when a a former player from a professional league who was probably a great player there, a name player, you know, the NBA or the NFL, whatever, um, and, and Major League Baseball, hockey, whatever the sport, and they come to ESPN as an analyst, and they're just starting out. And they'll pull me aside and they're like, we had no idea how hard this is. We had, no, as, as a player, we had no idea how difficult it is. Uh, and head coaches, managers say the same thing. We, we're sitting there, you know, they're laughing at us. We make a mistake, and they think it's so easy to be doing what we're doing. Aren't they all just reading from a teleprompter and blah, 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 blah. 
That is, I get great joy out of that. Great, great compliment. Because when we, and I say sports fans, watch them play the game at a professional level, we know how hard that is, right? We get how difficult it is. But our job to them looks like it's really easy. Something anybody can do. Hey, just get up there and, you know, tell me the score and tell me about this kid's hometown and anybody can do that. And um, I'll share one other thing for you. And I fall into this trap myself. When you see a professional broadcaster at any level make a mistake, okay? And they can misspeak. And you think that's a terrible mistake. Um, you, you wonder, how could you possibly ever make that mistake? You're at the game. How can you not see what just happened? So there are a million things going on as a broadcaster, both uh, in the stadium or in the studio, that, listen, it's not your fault. You at home, you could, if you, unless you've been in our seat, you could not understand how, just like I couldn't understand the, uh, the trials and tribulations of your job, for example. I've never been in your position. How could I understand? So you could not understand. For example, when you're watching a broadcast and the play-by-play or the color analyst repeats something very similar to what his partner just said. I mean, within 30 seconds, you're like, how are they not listening to each other? Well, chances are that's because the producer was in their ear telling them something critical at that very moment. And in the headset, for the most part, when the producer or someone in the truck is speaking, that cuts out your earpiece from your analyst, from your partner. Um, hey, how did the guy get the score wrong going to break? Well, a lot of times, and I do this myself, I'm looking at the scoreboard. Suppose the scoreboard made a mistake, and I read it wrong. In the end, it's on me. And I get information from the people in the truck, statisticians, researchers, and, and quite frankly, it's not always right, okay? But that's how this works. I rely on a lot of people. I get a ton of help. Um, I need a ton of help. And I make plenty of mistakes on my own. But so next time you see a broadcaster on the air make an egregious error, how could he get that player wrong? How could he not see that uniform number? Um, you know, understand, you know, some of these football stadiums, these colleges, we're way up there. We are far, far away. And, um, and these mistakes happen. And um, you can blame anybody you want, but I, I will tell you, uh, it's easier to make these mistakes than you think. Even what look like awful mistakes uh, or easy, something anyone can see at home on your big 60-inch flat in, uh, 60-inch uh, high-definition flat screen, uh, a lot of times you have a better view than I do. And um, that's just the way it is. So I would say cut us a break when you're watching at home and we make a terrible mistake. No one feels worse about it than we do. And, um, and there are reasons that you might not understand as to why we, we make these mistakes. And, um, and the bulging disc thing was, was strictly on me. It wasn't in the teleprompter. I spelled it correctly. Okay, we'll get to that towards the end. All right, other questions. Fire away. Let's see what we got here. I feel like I'm talking way too much. Okay, good. About recovering from mistakes so smoothly. I mean, I appreciate you saying that. I'm not sure how smooth it is. Uh, so I've had sort of two college football lives myself. Um, I did college football a long time ago. Had the uh, first, we were the first people to start the uh, the Friday night college football package uh, with Rod Gilmore, and uh, and then I moved on and did the noon uh, Big Ten package with uh, Todd Christensen uh, coming out of game day. That was a big thrill. And, and then sort of it came to a pass. I was doing the hockey play-by-play, -play, not a lot of sports center. And then it sort of came down from the boss. He had to make a decision back in that day. Um, do you want to be a remote or studio? And so for a variety of reasons, I, went, I chose studio and went back. So, so now five years ago, because of moving uh, pieces, uh, doors opening, I was able to get back into the play-by-play. -play and I had some rust on me. I had to knock some rust off, certainly at the beginning. And uh, we opened up with LSU, Wisconsin at Lambeau Field. Like, could I ease into it? Like, you know, have a, have a preseason game or something along those lines? No. Bam. Massive audience, 330 ABC. And so um, I was jacked up for that. Uh, but the point is, overcoming mistakes, if I made a mistake early on in a game, 
it would it would crush me. And I think that's a mistake that that young broadcasters make a lot. And quite frankly, I'll still make that mistake. Uh, I'm better at it now. But if I make a mistake in the open, stumble, a wrong uh, wrong statistic, go out of order, uh, something along those lines, um, then it takes me a while to recover. And it could it, back in the day, it could cost me the first quarter. I would just be out of sync for an entire quarter. And that's a sin. That cannot happen. And that's on me. And um, so I've gotten better with that. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's like the reliever that gives up, um, you know, the late inning home run, the cornerback who, uh, allows a wide receiver to run by him and gives up the, the touchdown pass. Um, you have to have a short memory in our game too. And, um, and because of that, that takes some experience that takes some work. Like, you know, a lot of people are watching these big games and you make a mistake, and like I just mentioned, you know, you take it easy on us, cut us a break. You don't know the reason the mistake was made. Um, but it's hard to shake off those mistakes. And so that's a real lesson. That's kind of like a life lesson you can use in broadcasting. Hey, we walk around making mistakes every single day. Can you fix your mistake? Probably not. But you can let it go, let some things slide, make it better, and get right back on it so, so one mistake doesn't turn into two. You hear about, uh, you know, coaches say that all the time. You know, we, that loss turned into three losses, you know, it became three losses. And that's because, you know, their teams couldn't get out of their heads uh, the previous loss. So I know it's easier said than done, but you have to forget it and move on. And uh, that's something I still wrestle with. You know, you make a mistake in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, on a big play, uh, you get a penalty wrong, um, you have the wrong team recovering the fumble, anything. Um, you need to buckle up and get right back in there because the critical play is coming and the key highlight is coming and that's the highlight sound full that people are going to play back, I think. So uh, that's something else to keep in mind. So you just got to bounce back as best you can. And that's and for young broadcasters out there, that's that's something that can be learned. That That's an experienced thing. Uh, you will get better uh, along those lines, okay? Uh, yeah, the long hockey game. So I did do, uh, I'm pretty proud of this. Uh, for It's not a skill, I just sort of lucked into this as well, total fluke. I have broadcast the five longest uh, Stanley Cup playoff games in television history, right? So I have to throw the television, there were longer games, but that was back in the 20s or whenever, and they weren't, they weren't on television. So uh, I have broadcast the three longest televised Stanley Cup uh, playoff games. And that's just a fluke. That's not a skill. And um, and so, you know, that sort of worked out for me. Poor reporters, you know, all these uh, newspaper and beat reporters on deadline would see me come into the building and start shaking their heads. And, you know, I got this reputation for Mr. Overtime. And so the first game I was not prepared for, uh, that was the old Capital Center in Landover. That was the Penguins and the Capitals. Uh, Daryl Ray, the excellent broadcaster, uh, was with me for that. Uh, so the Athletic, by the way, just uh, did a big report. Had the Dallas Stars as the, according to the fan research, Dallas Stars, the number one local broadcast in the NHL. So uh, kudos to Razor and that group. Um, and I just ran out of words. I, I really ran out of words. And I was just doing last names. Uh, Lemieux, Johnson, Smith. And it was, there was no description at all. And at one point, I just, I just I couldn't say anything. And Razor looks over at me, and I look back at him on television. I said, what? Like that, like angered, you know, annoyed. Like, I was just out of gas. And so, but that really did help me for the other two really long games, another five-overtime game, um, and one that was like 15 seconds away from a fifth overtime. Uh, Peter Nedved, Peter Sakura, Keith Primo were the three goal scorers in those games. I did those last two with Darren Pang. Shout out Pang. I think Maybe the Blues were the second uh, top-ranked broadcast, local broadcast. Uh, get well soon, John Kelly. Uh, but that's the story on the overtime hockey, okay? Uh, should entry-level candidates be selective towards picking the location of your first job? No. Um, now, when I say location, I mean geographical location. You are just getting into the business. You go anywhere. Take any job you are offered. Now... With any luck, there's a couple to choose from, and you can choose the best one, and then if you want to be closer to home or closer to whoever, fine. Then do that for yourself. But 
In terms of geography um, and taking the job, take it. If you don't take it, I promise you someone else will. You cannot be picky and choosy about what particular first job you take. Um, what I will say is this. I would take a job that is tailored to what you want to do. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, if you want to do play-by-play, if play-by-play is your definite love and your definite goal in the end, then I wouldn't take a studio job even if it was offered to you um, and, and vice versa. You should, again, now if you're unsure and you can go either way, uh, then that's fine. And the same applies for um, production assistant jobs, the entry-level position PA jobs at ESPN, for example. Um, a lot of people are sure they have to be on the air. And if that's the case, even at a college, I would tell them that a PA job is not for them. Now, people might disagree with this, uh, but my opinion is if you are dead set on being on the air, being talent, then I would not take a PA job anywhere, really. I would go be on the air someplace, wherever, work three jobs, whatever you have to do to make that work, to start making mistakes where the fewest amount of people are watching. Now, if you're undecided, you think you might want to be on the air, but you definitely want to be in the business, then a PA job is for you. Because a production assistant job, and again, not just at ESPN, any place probably, uh, will show you every aspect behind the scenes. And you might fall in love with a different position. Um, you know, the on-air thing is not as glamorous as it looks. It's great, but there are a lot of other important positions. And I mentioned it earlier, EJ is going to do all next week. Uh, no pretty people next week. EJ is going to do all... Um, still got eight minutes or so. EJ is going to do all behind-the-scenes people. And uh, they are the brains of the operation. Uh, producer, director, uh, researcher, graphics... I tell Adam Daly, our graphics director, every week, four letters daily, L-E-V-Y. Try to get them in order this week. So we had a great crew. That's one of the many downsides of all this. We were right in the middle of our XFL season, and we had a great crew. We got a great college football crew as well. And it's really nice when you like your teammates, the people you work with. You spend an awful lot of time uh, being with those people, and you get in a rhythm. And look, not everybody's going to be best friends, but... But I've been lucky enough in my career that really, just about every single partner I've ever had, I've been really close friend with, and producers, and directors, and everybody in the truck, and, and that's really worked out. Because you are a family on the road, and um, I miss that family uh, really every week. Uh, Brian Greasy, who's the quarterback of our, of our group, uh, college football, uh, he had a great idea. We had a, a video chat last week and got a, a bunch of our team members together. And, uh, and our producer, Josh Hoffman's arranging one actually for tomorrow for our XFL group to get together. And I miss these people, and you can't be with them. And uh, at least we can get to see them on the computer. So how do you go about structuring your play-by-play -play broadcast open? That's great. Great question. So a lot of that comes from the producer. And the producer usually puts together a format with input uh, from everybody in the group. And look, you develop... Certain things, like they know I like the first, you know, 15 seconds or the first 12 seconds of the show. And that's like the opening tease. That's the wide stadium shot. That's the crowd. That's the locker room. And, and so Josh will stitch a couple words together and, and I'll probably cross out, well, I cross out some of them, try to put my own flavor in there. We, we enjoy that every week. But, and then we, then we kind of decide, okay, so everybody's got a role in this. And I'll just go to the XFL Open because uh, that's the most recent uh, game, the recent games I've done. And, you know, Josh will hit Greg McElroy. Okay, what's your key point? What's the point you want to make? And in essence, and I really do this for all my partners, I work backwards, right? I want to find out what's your strongest point. What's the analyst's strongest point? And then I'll ask the question or go into the setup that gets that out. So it's, it's kind of cheating. You know, we're not all off the cuff. Um, you really can't be all off the cuff. You have to know a little bit about what you're doing there. Our rehearsals, I mean, the Greasy McShay rehearsals are legendary. 
It's not helping anybody. It's not helping the people in the truck, the directors. And you know, I'll say a couple words and go blah blah blah. And Greasy says blah blah blah. And McShay says blah blah blah. Molly, over to you. Blah blah blah. Back to you. And so we really haven't rehearsed anything uh, because we want to keep it live and fresh. But we understand the theme. I know the direction Greasy wants to go in. I know the order when I'm going to Molly or Todd next, for example. I know what Todd wants to hit. I know how he's going to finish up so I can transition to Molly. And the same thing with, with Lugs and Diana with the XFL. Although that was a bit of a different animal because there was so much on-field access. You know, Luganville was always sneaking up behind a coordinator trying to, you know, uh, put his microphone in front of somebody. And Diana's, you know, trying to interview a quarterback who's, you know, getting in his final warm-up tosses. So, but, but it is a collective effort for the Open so we get all these ideas. Okay, this is the order we're going to go in. Here's the video. Here's the sound. I'm going to roll this in while Greasy's speaking. This is the audio for this and those kinds of things. And then we're like, wait a second, we're two minutes heavy. You know, then it comes back to the clock, right? And in the end, the clock always wins. All right, so McShay, you can only speak for half of that. Levy, you got to shorten up your open. You think you're going to say something you think is funny. It's really not that funny. So cut that out. And then we try to get on time. And... Uh, or, uh, or Mike Mascaro has to, uh, you know, cheat a little bit on the clock and try to hold the kickoff when that happens from time to time. So that's about the open. Advice with job interviews and meeting a prospective boss, please. You got it. So, uh, on time. On time. And uh, those in my prior life will laugh that I am saying that uh, I was not always an on-time person. I've gotten much more punctual. I have really worked at that over the last 10 years. Uh, don't ask Barry Melrose if I'm an on-time guy. Uh, you can ask Reese or, or McElroy. I've been on time for them, and I have never missed a Sports Center Open. Uh, I have cut that close, but I have never missed the opening theme and the, and the high hello. So, listen, when you're meeting people, uh, future bosses potentially, it's really like meeting somebody on the street. Just be a good person. It's all those same things. You know, I can't even say... Give them a strong handshake anymore. I'm afraid that's that's something we're going to lose, people. I, I just had that random tweet a couple weeks ago. Could the handshake be lost forever? I mean, the handshake is such a fabric of our society, right? Um, you know, that's how you know you had a deal. You look somebody in the eye and, and gave them a strong, firm handshake. But you know what? With, with where we've been and who knows where we're going with all this, I think the handshake is probably something we can eliminate. Haven't we all already gotten very used to just the wave, the nod, how you doing? People know, people get it. And, you know, in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, maybe people won't even be talking about handshakes and it'll be, it'll be non-existent. But, but your attitude uh, going forward, positive, positive, positive. I really believe that it's helped me after all these years. Uh, I remain positive in the newsroom, and I think people see that. And broadcasting, journalism, print, uh, visual, all, all the all the different mediums, it does. I, I can't really explain it because it's such a great job. Negativity definitely creeps in. It's it's there. It's in newsrooms, generally speaking, and you have to fight hard against it. And I know that's something that management hates. You want to put, you want to give yourself a step up. You want to give yourself a head start right off the bat. Be positive. Be happy. And even if you got to fake it a little bit, well, then do that and fake it. Because um, people want to be around happy people. And it's a tough time now. But people want to be around positive people. And look for the bright side. There's a lot of negativity everywhere you go, probably in every job, everywhere you go. But don't be that person. Even through the tough times, try to find a bright side. Uh, try to shine a light on that. And, um, and th you know what? That's, that's not in this job. That's... That's in any job, that's, that's in life, walking around, people you see, people meet. If you can be a bright spot and, uh, and make things better and, and lose the attitude and lose the ego, nobody wants to hear that or see that. And I'll give you one more tip for you youngsters, and I'm coming up against the clock, and then I will, as promised, I will give you the, the full bulging disc story. I will go over on this. But here's my last tip. Um... For you young people, and this might be the most important thing coming out, and this might, uh, people might disagree again, this is one man's opinion, this is what worked for me. Your attitude is critical 
coming out of college or being a young person in this industry? Positive, yes, we already went through that. But as I would say, if you are starting out as an intern, wherever you are, or an entry-level position in any of these kinds of jobs, there is nothing beneath you. I'll repeat that. When you are coming up, there is nothing beneath you. And I mean, if somebody asks you, now within the framework of the organization, with the frame, in the framework of work, in the building, whatever building that is, somebody says, hey, would you mind go getting me a cup of coffee? You know what? Go get the cup of coffee. This is like the easiest tip ever. You want to put yourself head and shoulders above the, the next person? This is it. A smile on your face and the answer is yes. There is nothing beneath you. Hey, can you go make a thousand copies of this? Yes, sir. No problem. Yes, ma'am. Where's the copy machine? How do you like the coffee? Can you grab me a turkey sandwich from the, from the cafe? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Your answer is yes to everything. When you're starting up in the industry, the first person says, you know what? No, I got a college degree. I'm not getting anybody coffee. That's a mistake because whoever's asking for the coffee, and again, the coffee is just an example. The copy, the 100 copies, that's just an example. Could be anything. They're going to take a liking to you, and you're going to get the, the advantage. And that is society. That's the way it is. That's the truth. Nothing is beneath you in the industry. Okay? I strongly enforce that part. Within the framework of your organization, at work, in the industry, when you are just starting out, nothing is beneath you. Go and do and say yes to everything. You don't like that assignment? Too bad. The answer is yes, I love that assignment. I'll be great at it. And then you go research the heck out of it. I don't care if you hate the sport. You don't know anything about the sport. You don't know anything about the player, the athlete. Yes, I'll do it. That's an opportunity for you. They are testing you. The coffee could be a test. The copies could be a test. The terrible assignment. The awful hours. Working weekends. Working holidays. What do you mean I can't go home for Christmas? Sorry. Welcome to the business. This is how this works. You want to be in the business? You want to start out? You want to get a leg up? You want people to like you? I want to help you and advance your career? The answer to yes, the answer with a smile on your face to everything is yes, even if you have to fake it. All right? All right. That's my last tip. You've been patient. I appreciate you all waiting. All right. Here we go. So it's 1995. Okay? So I've been at ESPN a couple of years. Dan Patrick uh, called out. I think he was under the weather one night. Might have been one of his kids was sick and he had to stay home. For some reason, Dan never called out sick. Um, Dan needed a night off. And I was working with Keith Olbermann. And this was in the height of the big show. And, um, and so we would come on. Monday Night Football was on ABC at that time. And we would come on Sports Center immediately after the game, and it would be a, we'd stop everything we were doing, and we would say, uh, "I want to welcome all of you who've been watching Monday Night Football. Welcome to Sports Center, the Big Show. I'm Keith Olbermann. Here's Steve Levy filling in for Dan Patrick, and we go on to do a couple things. And uh, the next thing is I have a, what we call a reader. That's an on camera, and there's the over the shoulder graphic um, is of Maurice Hurst, uh, then of the New England Patriots. And um, he is suffering from a bulging disc in his neck. And uh, so I am reading the story, and uh, that, that phrase comes into play maybe 20, 25 seconds in, and I'm on camera. And I, of course, do not say bulging disc. I say the other word. So I misspeak by one letter, people. Get over it, right? And it was like, it was like the craziest, wildest thing ever happened. So... If you watch the tape, feel free to Google it. I believe uh, a Steve Levy disc is uh, sufficient. You'd be surprised how many people misspell disc, by the way. D-I-S-C. Um, anyway, so uh, I am trying to fight through the mistake. I quickly correct myself. I am trying to fight through the mistake. And then it's a, a rip of probably 60 seconds more of like career-ending injuries uh, that happened from that Sunday around the NFL, and I cannot stop laughing. And I can see Olbermann to my right is losing it. 
Uh, he's just, he's losing it. And, uh, the cameras are shaking. I mean, everybody's going wild. And, uh, Mike McQuaid is the producer. And in our industry, when you cancel the next story, uh, the expression is kill. Hey, we're going to kill that story. Kill page, kill page B24, kill page C27, whatever it is. So Mike McQuaid is trying to bail me out of this thing. I can't get through the NFL injuries. And the next thing was going to be the death of a figure skater. So now Mike says something along the lines that I remember it is, you know, kill the figure skater. Now, she's already dead. So we start, you know, losing our minds again. And it goes on and on. And finally, the camera comes up on Keith by himself. Keith has to take his glasses off so he can't read the teleprompter. And he's like literally crying, laughing uh, on SportsCenter. And, uh, and so really, again, I, I was two or three years in. I, I thought I was going to be fired for sure. I am, I'm walking out of the show. Um, guys are, people have stacks of copies of the tapes under their arms back in those days. And uh, are running them to their friends to get them out of the building. I must have had 50 voicemails from people... Uh, Nick Charles and Fred Hickman from CNN, who I didn't even know, legends over there, telling me, hey, hang in there. I heard from so many great broadcasters. I really thought uh, I was going to get fired and lose my job. And I, I came in the next day to work and I had a voicemail from Norby Williamson, who was my boss then, still my boss now. And uh, he left me a voicemail saying, hey, that was some of the, the funniest television I've ever seen. Uh, keep up the great work. And so to this day, again, this is 1995, people. This is a long time. Swear to God, to this day, at least once a month, someone comes up to me and says, hey, you're the bulging disc guy. What am I going to say? That's me. So uh, I thank you for tuning in. I hope this was um, uh, a learning experience. I hope you got a, a smile out of it, maybe a chuckle and a, a tip or two that helps you down the road. Uh, listen, I have three young kids, so I need to work for a long time still, so I don't take my job right away, uh, but I look forward to, to working side-by-side uh, -side with each and every one of you down the road. Uh, special thanks again to Ernie Johnson for including me in this wonderful project, and again, next week, uh, Ernie's taking it a different way. Uh, instead of the front-facing talent, all the people you see on camera, uh, he's going to show you the behind-the-scenes people, and trust me when I say... They have the harder job. They do more of the work. It is a much more difficult job. And you will learn uh, as much, if not more, next week from the people behind the scenes. So um, so that's it. My only fear is I'm not going to be able to turn this off. And you will see how I do, uh, how I go about my business the rest of my day. Uh, happy birthday to my boys again, Carson and Stone. And I'll be thrilled to see you on SportsCenter tonight at 11 o'clock Eastern Time on ESPN probably a hundred times in a row as we're going to rerun that sports center for quite some time. All right, y'all be safe, be smart. Again, thank you out there to the real heroes. Uh, we discussed that early on in the broadcast. Uh, the real heroes, you know who you are. Be well, wash those hands, stay away from other people. Okay. Y'all be cool. Right on. See ya. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website www.ejsgameplan.com Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.